This is Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. The unofficial podcast companion for Ray Dalio's book, Principles. This podcast will deeply explore the book and principles. The podcast is hosted by Micah Bays and John Sextro. Micah has a PhD in philosophy and has taught numerous college philosophy courses, including The Meaning of Life, Ethics, and Reason and Argument. John shares his perspective from years of experience trying to live out Ray's principles in his life and work. And you can follow us on Twitter. Micah is at Micah Bays, all one word. And I am at John Sextro, all one word. And now, this week's episode. I'm Micah Bays. I'm John Sextro. And we're back again with Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. In this episode, we're going to be concentrating on Principle 1.7, which says, Pain plus reflection equals progress. And there's a couple of mid-level principles or sub-principles that go along with that. A is go to the pain rather than avoid it. And B says embrace tough love. All right, Micah, let's start off with uh, that top level principle, pain plus reflection equals progress. In our last episode, we talked a lot about pain and that it's intrinsically bad. Right. I think think most people would say that. Yeah. And uh, we go on this episode to talk more about pain. And now this pain plus the reflection equals progress, which which seems like a an instrumental good to have progress. See, I'm using the words now, Mike. I'm saying yeah. intrinsic and instrumental. Yeah, and so, hopefully, just hopefully just clarifies our discussion of these topics. Yeah, I'm I'm philosophizing again. Yes, philosophy loves making distinctions. What do you think? Pain plus reflection equals progress. Is that true? Can can be. <laughs> it depends. Always it's our funny. answer. Yeah, I mean, I do, you know, I have to say when I see a statement, you know, some general statement like this, pain plus reflection equals progress, I immediately go to thinking about all of the counterexamples, you know, where this might not be true or something. Um, but so I think for myself, I have to just remind myself, okay, this is a general, something that's maybe true most of the time, but maybe not always. Um and, you know, a lot of times just with language, you know, we say things in a, you might say, pithy way that is memorable, but maybe doesn't capture all of the entirety of all of the factors relevant to that statement. So, yeah, it's bite-sized. That's bite-sized so that we can remember it. And then folks like you and I can really dive deep into it and decompose it and figure out what does it really mean. Right. Gives us an excuse for a podcast. Yeah. So here we are. And... I think a lot about this one, and I think it's important that there's this is like the follow-on from our discussion in the last episode, because it 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 brings it around to a way to turn something that seems negative into the positive, and it reminds us to add that reflection in, so we don't just continually experience the pain and experience the pain and go through the go through the the pain without coming out the other side with some way of improving or learning. And this is an opportunity for us to be mindful of when we experience that pain and really think about it and say, why do I keep experiencing this painful thing? And is there a way that I can, I can find a silver lining in the fact that I experienced this pain and figure out a way in the future to turn this pain into progress or use the current time 
of experiencing the pain to turn it into progress. What is, what about, um, you had, you had a statement in here that says you were lucky to feel the pain. And I think that was something that Dalio says. says. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we, you and I talked about this, I think before the last episode and we didn't actually mention the episode, but there's, um, an article about a lady who doesn't feel pain. I think we Um, talked about it. Did we talk about the episode? I don't know. But, uh, you know, certainly, you know, this idea of you're lucky to feel pain, you know, if you're just talking about physical pain, you know, you can see how it would be problematic, right? If you can't feel pain in your fingers and yeah, you go to touch a stove or something and, um, it's really hot, but you don't feel it, right? You don't have any pain. So you don't know to take your finger away until this lady, I think she talked about how eventually she could smell her flesh burning. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's certainly cases where it's you're lucky to feel pain because you know that there's something wrong. Um, if you don't have that feedback, then you don't know to correct something. The problem with pain, and I, I heard uh, I heard a Navy SEAL uh, talking about this one time where he was talking about being in the, the SEAL training and how everybody's everybody is basically in pain the whole time you're in SEAL training. And uh, he was in an extreme amount of pain, but had sort of fought through it because of all the adrenaline from just doing all the activities. And, uh, and then the drill sergeant or the, the officer in charge came over and said, are you in pain? Are you just in pain? Cause everybody's in pain or are you injured? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting, uh, an interesting way to think about things because oftentimes we're feeling pain, but it's like, are we injured? And that's even, that even comes up in sports and athletics and, uh, and exercising. Right. And you, you have talked about this before as we've spoken on the podcast is that sometimes you hit a wall where there's like, should I be doing this? Because this really hurts. And I think that extends into thinking and, and knowledge and, brain activity that we do should we be should i be feeling all this pain am i doing something wrong yeah i think you bring up a good point as far as you know are you you know are you experiencing just are you just experiencing pain i'm gonna put just in you know air quotes there um right because pain can be extremely bad um but you know are you just in pain or are you injured and you know it brings does bring up the fact that you know ray talks about you know, kind of going into the pain or, you know, not avoiding the pain. Well, obviously there's some pains where if you continue to experience them, go after them, it's going to cause damage. And so, you know, there's certainly scenarios where we need to step back and maybe assess, okay, this pain, is this a pain that by continuing to go forward with or experience, I might be able to be better off? Or is this a pain that, you know, if I were to continue to do whatever I'm doing that's causing the pain, I would actually be worse off. Um, I think I feel like that must be a hard, a hard thing to know where the line is on with pain. It's like how how much pain do I really tolerate until it does me does me damage, either psychological damage or physical damage. Like how long can I continue to tolerate this pain? And there's a lot of things that are exercising when you're exercising, it's painful. How far do I go? Because my body really starts to fail after a while. How far do I go before I know that, Oh, this is, this pain has gone from being helpful in the long run because 
yes, I'm tearing myself down a little bit in order to build myself back up. But now I'm just to the point where all I'm doing is causing myself damage. It seems like finding that line, both for physical pain as well as psychological pain is hard to find. Right. And yeah, so one, I think that's a good distinction here of, you know, physical pain and psychological pain. I think most of the time when Ray is talking about going into the pain, he's largely talking about the psychological pain and in particular, the psychological pain of, I presume, you know, aiming to achieve something and then failing. And that psychological pain of failing um, seems to be what he's mostly concerned with. Um, he certainly does talk about physical pain and talks about exercising. Um, you know, I, I think about, you know, this idea, so this question of when you experience psychological pain as a result of failure, uh, I think about the first few times I taught philosophy courses. Um, I can think back to some of those very first classes and I feel so bad for my students. <laughs> um, right. Cause it's a, you know, it's, it was a new thing for me and, you know, Surprisingly, when you go into grad school, there's not like they don't have you take a course in teaching. You just kind of have to pick it up as you go, um, which is kind of interesting. But I can just remember, you know, how badly some of the classes went when I first started teaching. And, you know, I could have said, oh, this is going bad. I'm just not a good teacher. Right. Um, Or is it, okay, now I know it's bad, but here's where the reflection comes in. I could think about, okay, well, why is this going badly? What is it that I can, is there anything that I can do to make this go better? Uh, I think part of it is, you know, with this idea of pain plus reflection equals progress, the reason that reflection, the reason this, you might say equation works is because as a result of reflection, at least a lot of times we're able to make changes so that we are then successful. Um, if that weren't the case, then pain plus reflection would just be pain, right? Um, but yeah, it's a, the ability of, of ourselves to improve our skills or improve our thinking or you know, change our circumstances so that we can be successful, that makes this equation work, you might say. Yeah, one of the things, Micah, that I found, that I found beneficial to how Dalio describes this, particularly is the fact that he points out that while it's great that you can, you can try to be mindful of the pain and then reflect while the pain is going on, that that's not a requirement. I think that's extremely hard. That's like the, uh, the advanced level of using this principle is being able to reflect while you're experiencing the pain or even be mindful of the pain and understanding where the pain is coming from and you know, why, why maybe you're experiencing it, but that he offers that you don't have to be, you don't even have to be mindful of it at the moment. You can spend time reflecting on it later and, and thinking to yourself, man, that sucked. That was hard. (laughs) Did it need to be that hard? That was pretty painful. Is there, is there a different way? Is there a better way I can go about things uh, so that I can improve? And then, he he talks about leaning into the pain, you know, go to the pain. That seems important to me as well uh, in the perspective of, of dealing with this. And most people probably would put their hand on that hot stove and say, okay, I'm going to avoid that from now on. I'm going to, I'm going to avoid future occurrences of pain. Sometimes it's unavoidable, 
Um, but the, the avoidance of it doesn't improve anything most of the time. That's something that I've had to really learn sort of the hard way in my life. I've always been, an, I always had been an avoider of pain. I would go out of my way to avoid pain to my own detriment. And only after I started um, trying to lean into the pain and, and think for myself, how can I make this better and improve myself in order to fix the pain rather than avoid it, did I really come to terms with pain itself and, and how to deal with it. Yeah, so, you know, another uh, thing that Ray says about pain is, you know, he says, you know, if you're not failing, you're not pushing your limits. So you're not maximizing your potential. And so, again, with failing comes pain typically, right? Because things aren't going the way you want them to go. You know, I was just thinking about, you know, for those who play video games, you know, and I'm not a big video gamer. I've certainly played a fair share. I love Tony Hawk's Pro Skater when I was in college. Um, but you know, shout you, out, <laughs> shout out for Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Right. All right, I'm sure he's listening. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I was just thinking about with video games. You know, when you play a video game, a lot of times you're given the option: Do you want to play this at the easy level, the medium level, or the hard level? Um, and I think most of the time when people can master the easy level, they don't want to stay there. Or let's say they never played the game before. They start off in easy and like, oh, this is super easy. I don't want to play at this. You know, I want to go up to the harder level. And so I think that speaks to you know, our desire to be really good at what we do. Um, you know, so you don't want a game that doesn't challenge you, that doesn't require you know, any kind of special skill. Right? You want to prove to yourself that, hey, I can play this video game at the highest level um, and right. We don't want to just do it at the easy level. Um, Not all of the time, certainly anyway, uh, sometimes if you just want to do it because it's, it's recreational, you just want to kick back and turn Tony Hawk on for a little while and, you know, do some nine sixties or <laughs> I don't know anything about skateboarding. Nine sixties. There you go. Oh, hey, how about well, that? Well, uh, I mean, I guess, 960 is a degree, right? So you could do it, but I guess it's 360, 720. All right, fine. 1080. 1080s. I'm doing a 1080 then. All right. Um, or, you know, you, you maybe I'm only doing a 360. And so I want to get, I want to really do it good. So I need to learn how to do a 720 and that, that could be painful. I mean, <laughs> in, in both in, uh, in video game world and the real world. Especially in real life. Yeah. yeah there's definitely going to be pain there if I'm not very good at that. But by by pushing the envelope and by putting myself at risk of causing more pain is is the only way I'm going to to get better and to grow to lean into that and and go with it and 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 live with the outcomes even if even if it means you know frustration or in the real world hurt scrapes broken bones or sprained ankles or things of that nature right yeah you know unless you're you know some you know unlike the rest of humanity, right? You don't just have skills at the top level and have them automatically the first time you try. I mean, there's some things, right? Yeah, we're successful the first time, but a lot of the skills you have to try over and over again and right, you haven't learned how to do them yet, so you fail, right? And that's just a part of the process. Um, whether it's, you know, a physical thing like sports, you know, where your body just has to learn, you know, how to perform, you know, various moves or actions, or if it's, you know, skills like, you know, I talked about teaching, you know, 
one of the things I discovered uh, was that when I was teaching, I thought, well, okay, I understand it on a surface level, and I thought that was good enough. And I didn't realize, you know, one thing you want to do as you go into teach is to anticipate concerns or questions that students might have um, or think about alternative ways to approach the same topic. So, you know, it gives people a different avenue to try to understand it. Um, and so it wasn't until I taught and saw that, you know, the level of effort that I put in or the level of preparation wasn't enough. Right? It was only through that experience of failing and realizing, okay, well, what's causing the failing? Um, that helped me identify, you know, how I improve. I wonder how long someone would be willing to do an activity, whether it be something, um, some knowledge, knowledge-based work or, you know, just psychological overall, or even sports related. How long would someone be willing to feel that pain and not have an improvement before they said, I, that's it. I'm not going to have this pain anymore. I'm just going to stop doing the thing. Like if you were on an exercise regimen and you're working out and you're seeing all kinds of improvements, but then you hit one of these plateaus that people always talk about and you're like, okay, it's been two weeks and I don't feel stronger. I don't look better. I don't, how, how much of that can a person tolerate before they sort of give up and, and throw in the, the white towel and say, that's it. I, I'm done. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly I think a lot of it's just going to depend on, how much pain they experience, right? And, you know, because a lot of it, ultimately we're doing cost-benefit analysis of, you know, is the pain I'm going through worth what I think I'm going to get out of it? And um, so if it's really painful for someone to exercise for two weeks and they don't see any benefit and don't see any expected benefit in the future, then they're going to be more likely to give up. Right. So I think, you know, yeah, we're, in, we're kind of doing, frequently it's a subconscious cost-benefit analysis. So what's the value you think, Micah, of knowing, knowing the truth and as it, especially as it relates to the pain that we might be experiencing along the way? It's a good philosophical question, John. Um, you know, so, you know, part of the reason this comes up is, you know, Ray says that, and I'm probably paraphrasing him here, but he says that you have the opportunity to choose healthy and painful truth or unhealthy, but comfortable delusion, right? So. You can go through life if you want to and maybe ignore pain, right? You can maybe try to delude yourself and not make yourself aware of the areas in which you're failing. Um, and so that's unhealthy. You know, he calls it unhealthy but comfortable delusion since you're unaware of the difficulties and things that aren't going well, you feel good. Um, he says, or you can choose the healthy and painful truth again. In this case, you are willing to hear what's going wrong, you know, what your flaws are and so on. Um, so this does just raise a philosophical question, uh, just for people to ponder if they will. Um, I took a class in what the good is for a person. And so there was a question about what value does truth have? You know, to what extent is truth good for you as a person? You know, is truth We've t I think we may have talked about this before, but it seems easy to see how truth is typically at least an instrumental good by knowing how the world is, right? You know, there's a glass door there, you know, not to walk through it, that kind of thing. Um, that helps you avoid pain. But there's a question about is truth also a 
an intrinsic good. It's just good for you to know the way things really are. Um, but anyways, you know, in bringing out this question, uh, there's a kind of an interesting philosophical, what they call thought experiment. So imagine, uh, John, imagine that you are currently a deluded person. Um, Oh boy, that's true. <laughs> so imagine that you think that your professional life is going well, right? That you think you are successful, but in fact, you're not. Um, suppose that the status of your marriage is terrible. Let's say your wife doesn't really care about you at all. Um, and she just acts like she does, you know, just to keep things nice at home or something. And suppose that you think your kids love you when in fact they don't, but they just come around because, you know, let's say you have a little bit of money, right? Um, Are you trying to make me cry? <laughs> not trying. <laughs> uh, so, right, if you were to find this out, so right now you're currently deluded, right? This is the thought experiment. You think it's going well. You think your job's going well. Your marriage is going well. Your, you know, parenting is going well. Your relationship with your kids is going well. And so all of this makes you very happy, right? You feel good about all of these circumstances. Well, let's say I somehow know that this isn't the case at all. That, you know, people at your work don't like you at all. Um, they think you do a terrible job and they just kind of cover things over just so they don't have to deal with it. Um, they don't mention it to you. And again, suppose I know that your wife doesn't like you, right? Maybe she's posted on Twitter or something, right? That she doesn't like you, which seems like a bad thing to do and right that your kids don't is it worth it for you to know that this is all false right is your life worse off because you're deluded and so you know i think the question is should i make you aware of these things and i think a lot of people are going to say yes but it seems like maybe only because by knowing about them then you can do something about it um so you know is it good to have the truth in that case? You know, when when I read this, when I read Dalio's statements on this, I thought to myself, this is silly. I mean, I, who would ever choose the deluded side of this this equation? Um, and then, but then when you when you when you put together that thought experiment, then I could start to see where oh, there are people that live like this all the time, and maybe I'm one of them as well. You know, I could be deluded about. Plenty of things, and I think what's what might be incredibly hard about this is is working through the delusion. Like, how do I come out of? How do I get out of the delusion? Unless I have someone like you that would be willing to step up and help me work through the delusion, right? And you know, one of the questions, of course, is is it bad to be deluded? Right. Let's say you were to never find out those things. Would it be better off for you to? be deluded and at least be happy or, you know, cause what if you couldn't do anything about it? And should I go ahead and tell you the truth? Even though, you know, let's say you can't do anything about it. Granted, people are going to say, well, yes, you can. Yeah. Philosophy thought experiments break down quite often. Yeah. What if, I mean, what if I'm on an airplane and the airplane is going to crash? Should I know? Do I need to know? Or should I just sit there and be deluded the whole time? And then, Boom, it's over. Would it have been better for me to know? I couldn't have done anything about it. All right. I would have done is worry for the time between not knowing and, and uh, knowing until it was over. Right. That's uh, interesting. An yeah. interesting thought experiment. 
philosophy is is uh, seems to be full of interesting thought experiments. Yeah, and you know this obviously doesn't provide us any answers, but it just hopefully gives people you know something to think about as far as how do they weigh out the value of truth relative to the value of you know pleasure and pain. We operate the podcast on the value for value model. We are entirely listener supported. If you enjoy the podcast and find value in the information and entertainment you receive, you can donate to the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Dalio's principles and click support this podcast. There are even more ways to support the show. You can dazzle all of your friends with information learned on the show and share the show with them on social media. Also, you can review us on iTunes. It'd be awesome if you blog about it or even talked about our podcast on your very own podcast. And you can always direct your friends to our subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Dalio's principles. And now back to the show. So what about embracing tough love, Micah? This seemed... At first, at, at first blush, it seemed a little out of place uh, when compared to the equation pain plus reflection equals progress. How is how do you think that embracing tough love fits into this? Like, is it is that really what you're doing if you are a person who's trying to help me deal with my delusion? You're really giving me maybe some tough love and saying, "Look, I'm not telling you this because." I don't like you. I'm telling you this because I really like you. And I hate to see you living in this, in this delusional state. And I actually think that you could be better off if I give you this information. Cause you're not just giving me the information to hurt me or to, to knock me out of my delusion to put me into pain. Right. I think you would, because that might be a case where you're like, Hey, can the person do anything with this information? Is it going to help them? If I give this give this person that information. I think there's like a hundred romantic comedies that are like based on this. Like I know something about this guy's relationship. Should I tell him, is there anything you can do about it? What could he, you know, would it, would his life be better? Maybe that's the embracing tough love. Right. I mean, I think it is interesting in the sense of, you know, most of this principle seems, you might say self-directed about, Hey, you should, you know, if you want to, have success. If you want to have progress, then you need to embrace pain. Um, you know, go into it, you know, that sort of thing. Don't avoid it. And so, you know, it is kind of interesting that now he's talking about how he's going to deal with others that seemingly, right. He's going to allow them to experience pain, to experience struggle. Um, so I think, you know, certainly one of the things this does raise the question of is what is the good for a person? Um, because on the one hand, if you say, well, the good for someone is whatever they desire, whatever they want to be true, um, then the person who wants to just be you know, handed something as opposed to being forced to do it on, them, on their own and struggle and learn how to provide for themselves, you might say, well, look, if what they want is just to be handed things, then the good for them is to just be handed things. And so tough love, I'm going to say tough quote unquote love here, wouldn't really be quote unquote love because you would then be giving something that they don't really want what's not really good for them. Um, Always bailing someone out or like you said, giving them the 
maybe you're always giving into your children and saying, ah, go ahead and have the cookie. You know, even though it's 10 minutes until we're going to eat dinner, you're just always handing them what they're needing rather than making them become like self-sufficient. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, this idea of, so yeah, there's a question of what kinds of, what makes someone's life go better. And one idea is, well, getting what you desire. Um, but then there's, you might say, objective accounts that, hey, there are various things that make your life go well. And maybe being, um, you know, self-reliant, right? Or um, I'm failing for words here, but... Uh, independent. Independent, yep. Self-providing, those kinds of things. Maybe those are objectively good things for someone, right? And the extent to which they have those qualities or live out that kind of life, their life goes better. Um, and so then I think that would open up the option more for Ray here as far as tough love goes. Because if there is an objective account of the good and it involves you know independence, at least to some degree, um, then he could say, no, this really is self-love. You know, this is really tough love. I'm really actually helping this person out. I'm helping them live a better life by learning to struggle. Um, it seems a little more difficult with this idea of, well, the good life for you is whatever you desire. Cause if I say, I just desire to, again, have everything handed to me, then not handing something to me seems like a worse life. Now there are ways around that we can talk about. Um, so Harry Frankfurt is a philosopher who talked about, um, I'm going to paraphrase here, but roughly like there's kind of, two tiers of our desires or two levels of desires. There's various particular desires that we have, but then there's the desires that we have about our whole life. So you could think about, okay, you know, what is it you want today or what is it want tomorrow? But what you want at a particular time might be different than what you want as you assess your whole life, right? If you say, okay, over the course of your whole life, how do you think, how do you want things to look? Right. And Maybe the reality is we all want or we all want or desire to have independence, you know, in our whole life. Um, and so Ray could say, well, even if someone is telling me that they want to be just handed something now, the reality is ultimately what each person wants is to, you know, have some degree of independence. I, I think it's easy to think about giving tough love. It's never easy. But I think it's easier to be faced with and consider and then and then hand out tough love to to people that you work with because you're not as not as invested in them um, from a relationship perspective when you compare it to your family. Now sometimes Dalio talks about the people you work with being like your family, uh, and so you you know you still care about them, but I think it's a little bit easier. Uh, in in the workplace, and you almost have a little bit of a you know you see yourself as having a duty, like it's one of your job responsibilities to help give people some of that tough love. And there's a there's maybe even unwritten um, or unspoken rules that we should do that. You know, we want to give people that tough love and and point out to them when they're when they're doing things that are uh, incorrect or could be done better. Uh, it's more difficult with your family and your friends. And maybe it's a little easier with like young children. Cause you're talking about 
pretty superficial things. Like I mentioned, like you can't have the cookie or no, you can't play in the street <laughs> because you're going to get hit by a car. Uh, but I, I'm at the phase in my life where I have a 20 year old and uh, she's really starting to become an adult. And, you know, she's having to, having to get to that point where it's like adult issues, money, you know, relationships. Uh, will she be leaving the home and, and leaving the nest, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And right now, as a matter of fact, she's in Germany and Amsterdam with my sister, her aunt. And the other morning I was awakened by the fact that her phone had been broken and they're in, they're in Germany. They were in Germany at the moment. And oh, so wow. it's like, well, do I fix this problem for her? I can't really fix this problem for her. In, uh, in in most cases, that would have been a situation where I probably would have fixed the problem for her. Mm-hmm. But this was a case where I'm like, nah, I, there's no chance I can really help you. Now, you aren't going to fly to Amsterdam and... Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely take, take not. Take your phone to the Apple store or whatever. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and nor was I going to do what she wanted, which was just simply buy her a new phone. <laughs> like, no, we're not buying a new phone. I said, calm yourself down. Worst case scenario, you don't have the phone for a while. It's like, you're in Germany. You should enjoy your time in Germany. But anyway, so I had to give her some tough love and be like, I know you're upset about this. I know this is hard. I said, you've got a problem. You've got to work through this problem. I can't do this for you. And I said, here's some suggestions, you know, find a a repair store, see if they can get it fixed. You know what? And then what else can you think of from there? So start there and work through it. Now they work through it. So she got it fixed. End of story, you know, life happy again. But, yeah. And I sort of did solve the problem. I mean, I helped solve the problem, but I didn't swoop in in a way where it was like, everything's going to be okay, honey. Daddy will take care of the phone and da, 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 da. And here's the new phone. And it's like, no, okay. Work through it. Yeah. Uh, this, so this talk reminds me of, um, this topic reminds me of, uh, have you read, ever read the book or heard of the book, The Millionaire Next Door? No. Tell me about that. Uh, so, I mean, part of the, the main gist of the book is explain, you know, what the typical mer- what the typical millionaire looks like, you know, because most of us, when we think of a millionaire, and this book was written like 20 years ago. So back then, if you, were, if you knew someone was a millionaire, you might think, oh, wow, they've got lots of money. Well, obviously, they've got lots of money. They've got a million dollars at least. Um, but they've got a lot of luxury items, right? They have a big house, really the newest cars, you know, wearing really nice clothes. And this guy's point was, and this is through research, that that's not what the quote-unquote typical millionaire looks like. The quote-unquote typical millionaire was someone who owned their own business, lived pretty frugally, ended up having success, but they've maintained their frugal status, uh, their, their frugal lifestyle. And um, anyways, as a part of that, he started talking about you know, how do um, you, how you deal with your children and you know how much you should give to them um in i think in particular in thinking about you know how is it going to improve their chances of themselves being millionaires and um he talked about how you know if you gave your children too much you know they would become dependent on you and interestingly you know not just psychologically like they became lazy and you know wouldn't want to work and obviously that's not a blanket thing but you know, it's not in all cases. Um, but what was interesting is he pointed out when parents would help their kids by, let's say, paying 
a significant portion of their mortgage or they bought them a new car. What they were actually doing was increasing the chance that the kid is going to be to be dependent on them for more because they've put them put their kid in a higher earning bracket or sorry, a higher spending bracket, right? If they get a nicer house, they then they can actually afford themselves. Their property taxes are going to be higher than normal, right? Um, they're if the house is bigger than they could afford on their own, utilities are going to be more expensive. Maintenance is going to be more expensive. And so now, you know, you might think you're helping out your kid by giving them more money, but you know, unless they're already financially independent themselves, they're actually going to be more dependent now. Um, anyways, that was just like a really interesting read for me. I'm not a millionaire next door, but you know, just learning about how finances affect your kids is just interesting. With without knowing any of the the real details about Dalio and his family beyond what he shares in the book, it sounds like he has sort of taken a similar sort of approach that you're mentioning where it's like not just giving giving children just anything they want, but you know, helping give them experiences and life lessons that are going to help put them in a position to um, to have the same or similar sorts of successes that you as the parent have also had. And that's a, a, you know, that's another thing where it's like tough love. I mean, we all wanted seemingly think as we're thinking about it or like, I want my children to have it better than I had, which might mean more stuff, more things, more access, more whatever. Right. And it, mm. it, instead of thinking about, no, they should, they should have similar experiences that I have had. They need to be, learn how to be careful with money, frugal with their money. They need to learn how to be able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps occasionally, be able to work themselves out of a problem. And that's, I think, really what is important about the tough love, Mm -hmm. setting people up for future success. One of the uh, additional things that Dalio goes on to sort of round out principle 1.7 with uh, is this, we've talked a little bit about it, I think, before, at least I have, um, this whole thing about how we've been conditioned um, by education, by previous jobs, et cetera, to, in essence, Micah, be embarrassed by the fact that we make mistakes. And that seems to be, you know, one of those things that's like a limiting factor for people. Uh, they never, they, sometimes they don't want to stretch themselves in public in a way that they could fail because it would be embarrassing. And Dalio talks about that as being, um, one of our weaknesses is that we are embarrassed uh, by these failures and and by the pain that we might experience in a public manner. What did you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think this is uh, just interesting. In the sense of you know, on the one hand, you know, he's talked about you know natural selection, about evolution, um, and certainly there's this idea of you know natural selection that right, it's the stronger that survive their genes are the ones that get passed on. Um, And so in part, I'm thinking, you know, one of the reasons why we want to hide our weaknesses is because people can attack them, right? Mm. Um, That's your weakness, right? That's the spot where you're vulnerable, right? Think about like your Achilles heel, um, right? John, you know about that. The dipped in, uh, dipped in the river Ganges or something. Did I, do I have the wrong river? I I think you've got the wrong river. Darn. Uh, (laughs) um, The river sticks. Maybe let's go with that. Sure. 
<laughs> and it's his his mother of the god held him by his Achilles. Right. And uh, so, yeah, the river didn't touch his Achilles heel. Or it, well, his name is Achilles. It didn't touch his heel. And so that's where he was vulnerable. But, um, right, you wouldn't want to go around telling people, hey, I've got a vulnerable heel, right? Because they'll attack you there. And so I do think there's a question about to be comfortable with having a weakness. Um, right. So there's two ways you might be uncomfortable with a weakness. At least one is just a issue of pride. Like, well, I don't want to have a weakness. That's what I'm not concerned with here. I'm not, I'm concerned with the situation where you want to hide your weakness from others because you're worried that, you know, if they know about it, they will attack you there. Right. Um, and so I, I don't think it's, um, you might say irrational to want to hide your weaknesses. Uh, because I think whether it quote unquote makes sense or is in your interest to be honest about your weaknesses depends on the environment in which you're in. Right. Um, and certainly I think Ray has talked about creating a culture right at Bridgewater or elsewhere where you can admit your weaknesses. And the only real flaw is not admitting to your weaknesses. Presumably that's in a scenario or an environment in which people are willing to help you, right? And not attack you, not bring you down. You know, whether it's good or rational or at least in your self-interest, and we can talk about to what degree it's rational to pursue your self-interest or to pursue, you know, the greater good. Um, but insofar as it's in your self-interest depends on the environment you're in. Um, so then I, you know, I did start thinking about, well, what if the world was created so that what if we created the world or we were able to impact the world in such a way that everyone felt safe to expose their weaknesses, right? It seems like that's a really good thing. Um, and ultimately I do think that is a good thing, but at the same time with this concern about evolution, uh, you know, that Ray talks about, would that be counter to evolution, right? If people's weaknesses weren't exposed, if they weren't taken advantage of, um, cause then it seems like we're no longer doing the whole, only the strong survive. Now you might say, well, now we're talking about the evolution of the group as a whole. Like, and, and so certainly I, I'm thinking of, you know, Ray's larger vision of life as far as, you know, the purpose of evolution and, you know, nature is pushing us all, um, towards evolving, uh, is pushing the world towards evolving. Um, if we create a world in which it's safe to have weaknesses, is that running counter to what Ray sees as, you know, nature's goal or nature's purpose? Um, again, I've already said I disagree with it, but I'm just trying to think about, you know, what his advice here, how that matches up with his view about uh, the purpose of life. Yeah. It, it's a great, uh, it's a great thought experiment. It, it goes deep in, into the, into the philosophy. And I, I feel like for, uh, maybe if you're limited to an organization, to a company, to a large group, you know, a community, and you're able to establish a level of trust within that, within that organization or that community, that can set things up in a way where I can I can be vulnerable enough to expose my my weaknesses without fear of of being of those weaknesses being used against me. So there may be. And there are, are plenty of maybe other real world opportunities where I would want to be 
very protective of my weaknesses for exactly the reasons that you articulate that someone could use them against me. They could use them to do harm to me. They could use them to um, usurp my power and, and, and my, my place in, inside of an organization or um, just in, in the world in general. So there's it, it across the board. I don't know that there's a good answer, but from a, from a, a corporate perspective, from your community's perspective, I think it's important that you have a level of trust where you can allow for weaknesses to be exposed so that I don't have to worry about, A, I don't have to worry about being embarrassed about them, and B, I don't have to worry about other people damaging me through my weaknesses like Achilles. Right. Yeah, this actually reminds me, I saw Ray... um posted i think it was i think it was in the course of like an ama on reddit you know ask me anything i can't remember if it was reddit or some other social media site um but someone asked him what his advice was if they were in a work culture that wasn't um supportive of radical transparency and um so just in case our some of our listeners might be interested in that question um you know ray's advice was and not too surprising but he said well one See if you can have conversations with people to try and trans, you know, transform it into a radical, radically transparent workplace. He said, you know, if not, you know, see if you can find another workplace that does support that idea. Um, so of course, you know, I think this is where for some people that's going to be possible. You know, other people are going to have to think about their own life circumstances, you know, what effect it would have on their family and, so on um, to change jobs, um, depending on where you are, how easy it is to switch jobs. But anyways, that was his advice. Uh, just to add some to that, Micah, from the perspective of Dalio and and some of the other things that he does in social media, that example of an AMA that he did, he did on Reddit. I, I read this morning, I think it was, that he had is doing another one or has done another one recently on LinkedIn. Um, so you can, folks can go check that out, search it out on Reddit and LinkedIn, the various AMAs that he's done because he takes questions that folks like you and I, Micah might have about some of the principles and he responds to those and and goes a little bit deeper into what he really meant deeper than he could go in his book or on, on just other social media sorts of posts. Right. If we, Uh, uh, if I can find the links, we'll put them in the show notes. Perfect. That sounds like a great plan. And then one more thing, and this is sort of a, maybe a point to ponder. I know we haven't done a lot of those, but just as something that people might want to do and keep track of, Ray talked about a thing that um, they had within Bridgewater that was, I think it was called the pain button. And I don't know exactly what it did, uh, but it sounded like a way to sort of record for yourself instances where you had experienced pain. And while we maybe don't all have access to whatever that is, I think it's quite meaningful and possible for us as individuals to just keep track of those things, especially in a work environment of what are the sorts of things where I felt pain so that in the future, um, and that could be in an hour, that could be in a week, it could be in a month. I could go back and review the various pain that I've been through, maybe categorize it, maybe prioritize it and say, what's the worst in this list? What, what can I reflect on? Where can I try to find progress? Uh, where can I suggest improvement to my organization, to myself, et cetera? So something for people to consider implementing in their lives. All right, Michael. Well, that wraps it up for principle 1.7, pain plus reflection equals progress. 
We'll be back here next time with Principle 1.8. Thanks, Micah. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going on our subreddit, Dalio's Principles at reddit.com. The subreddit is Dalio's Principles, all one word. Join us to interact with a community of like-minded individuals.